Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is the awe-inspiring Claire Bosey, editor of Chef and Restaurant magazine and the driving force behind the Seat at the Table campaign. Coming up on today's show... Claire reveals the lengths she'll go to to get the job done. I will keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and if I end up in the Tower of London, I end up in the Tower of London. Phil talks about the downside of being born in January. I can never go to the restaurants I want to go to because they're all bloody shut. And Claire divulges her high-level tactics for attempting to secure key information. In the 2000s, I did get a Michelin inspector incredibly drunk, incredibly drunk, and tried to get information, and none was forthcoming. All that and so much more as Claire talks us through her amazing story to date, as well as talking us through how she got the Seat of the Table campaign off the ground. It's an all-action chat from the word go, with so many great stories. Thanks so much, Claire. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we have a bona fide treat. Currently the editor of Chef and Restaurant magazine with titles now in London, New York and the Middle East. Not only that, the driving force behind the Seat at the Table campaign, which was the campaign to to try and secure a minister for hospitality. It gives me a huge amount of pleasure to welcome the very busy Claire Bosey. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real treat. You're very welcome. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm just, um, you know, absorbing all the information from Boris's announcement on Monday. But um, yeah, interesting. Yes, for context, we were sat here on the 24th of February, uh, a couple of days after Boris made his uh, his roadmap of how we get out. You're, well, I suppose you're quite well placed because you have a, a very broad view and and response from from the industry. What's what's the noise been like? Um, it's been, um, I would say, a, a, a a split mixture of optimism and despair. There, are, you know, there's a lot of optimism. People opening booking lines, people excited about reopening, all looking forward to it. And but there is still a, an, an amount of despair that it's a long way to go yet. It's still reliant on the steps, and and there are operators out there that just don't have the cash flow available to to see them over the next couple of months. So it's down now to to the budget to Rishi Sunak on the third of March. Uh, yeah, where we go from there. And it's quite frustrating, isn't it, that we now have to wait until the 3rd of March for that, that they don't just make the announcement and go, right, on the back of the announcement, this is what we plan. It is. It is really frustrating. And, and, and you know what, you know, I mean, you know, the hospitality industry, it's full of really creative, talented people. And, and, and they, they did deserve some kind of reassurance on the back of the announcement on the 22nd, um, rather than having to wait such a long time. Because, um, you know, you've got to consider people's mental health. A lot of businesses yeah. have traded for a long, long time and, and, and nerves are running high and they could just do with some confidence that they're going to be financially supported. Um, but uh, alas, we have to wait until the 3rd of March. Yeah, I, I think there are now an awful lot of businesses that are literally just clinging on, aren't they? There um, are. And unless we get some um, leaks in inverted commas coming through yeah. soon, it's going it's to be a, a long old road to the 3rd of March. And um, and, and yeah, but but, the, but equally a lot of optimism. Um, you know, some some operators are fortunate to be able to to, to, to hold fire and, and, and start planning and preparing. Um, but that's not the case for it's many independents, many smaller businesses. It's just not the case. And, and then, of course, the whole supply chain behind them. I suppose yeah. at least the suppliers do have dates to work towards so they can start to plan and prepare. Um, but it's just all it's all a little bit tentative. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that's enough of that old nonsense. Let's uh, let's talk good stuff yeah. and positive stuff before we get into kind of what you're you're up to now, which is by all accounts quite a lot. Yeah. You are, on the face of it, a very busy lady. <laughs> I am, and when you say when you say let's get positive, my blood group is B positive. It's my mantra. Hey, <laughs> and uh, and and I've stayed B positive all the way through this pandemic. But yeah, it's you know we, we you know we we have the three titles. So the uh, the UK title uh, was the first, and I, I've I've now been with this since um, 2017 um, when the when the magazine was taken under new ownership, and yep. the two the two guys that that took the magazine under acquisition contacted me and said, you know, would you would you be interested in doing this? And I said, um, I said yes, I will, as long as 
we make this the best publication there is. I won't accept anything less. <laughs> Excellent. And um, and so that's that's what you know, I've been doing since 2017 is really changing the dynamic of the magazine, making it aspirational, making it exciting. Um, and, um, you know, we have such a queue of chefs that want to be in, pastry chefs that want to be in it. Um, it's fabulous. And then, and then in 2018, um, I'd featured a chef from New York called um, Frederick Baselius, but in the UK magazine, I'd featured this chef. And when the UK magazine was printed, sent him a copy and, and he kind of messaged back saying, you know, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I thought nothing more of it. Mm. Then he contacted again and said, you know, we don't have anything like this in New York. And I was, no, don't be ridiculous. You must. He said, no, we we don't. And uh, I've shown it to friends and we would really, as chefs, like to have something like this in New York. Um, So I went to the the other two guys that own the magazine and I said, look, there appears to be an appetite for for Chef and Restaurant magazine in the States. And and bless them, they, they very kindly said, well, if you think it's a goer, go and explore it. And um, and we'll we'll back you. So off four of us went to to New York, and uh, me, my managing director, a photographer, and a writer, and we spent seventy two hours running all over the city, getting interviews and meetings in, um, and then launched the uh, the New York magazine in two thousand and nineteen. Um, wow, which went down really, really well. And then, and then, what happens then is that you know, we, we, you know, what social media is like, and you start to get lots of attention. We then started to get attention from from the Middle East, and in particular from Dubai. And, um, and that's just like I love the fact that that's basically somebody going, "We want something like that in our marketplace." It's not fair. Yeah. So again, we did. We you know we did some. We did some thinking, some research, and um, and and put together a Middle East edition, which cleverly we launched in in March 2020. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, so that one actually, uh, we had our launch edition, and we start to publish there again in the next couple of months. In the meantime, with the New York edition, it was it was t- you know it was tough with the with the New York edition to keep morale up, which. In in the mag- in all the magazines that's been our focus throughout all of this is keep morale up. You know these these are guys and girls that that we need to keep their spirits lifted, keep them inspired, keep them doing stuff, and you know send them challenges. And we even put crosswords and word searches to spot the difference into the magazine just for. A- yeah. But in but in New York it it, it was tougher to do that. Um, but we did start to get more attention from um, from other states, so especially in California, in Texas. So that magazine at the moment is undergoing a, a rebrand and is being launched in May as a USA title, not just a, a New York title. Right. Uh, which is really really fun. So yeah, so you know, in in, in terms of in terms of the, the magazines and um and all the social media that goes alongside it, really really busy. And then of course the the campaign for a minister takes up every spare second of my life. <laughs> yeah, I quite believe it. And um, well, before we get into that, because that's something that I really want to give some some serious time to, because I I think it's massively important and and quite amazing actually what you've you've managed to achieve in quite a short space of time but take us all the way back to the beginning of your career yeah how did you get into hospitality in the first place and so I got into hospitality in the first place Uh, well I've always worked I mean at the age of 13 I was I was waitressing in in a a local pub in in Colworth and I've always worked in hospitality but um, and I did I did briefly attend a regional I'd, I'd moved at that point in time we we're up in Shropshire and I, I attended a regional catering college um, um, in in Shropshire in Shrewsbury and it, I have to say it was deeply uninspiring I mean oh, <laughs> oh my goodness you know that one day I was sat there and we were cutting out photographs of food from magazines and arranging them on another piece of paper and I was just like this this is not um, and you know, and, and kind of how to walk around with books on your head, so you had a straight back and things like that, and it just did not inspire me. So I left. Right. Um, I left, and I went to go and work in a hotel outside of Ludlow. And whilst I was there, I was just, I used to be a fan of the caterer. I mean, the caterer was always arriving for for the, the chef. That it was a very that the hotel had the typical angry British chef who hated front of house. I mean, it just hated life. Just hated life, and it yeah. and he was a real bully boy, and and you know all the waiting staff were rubbish, and 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 that was just. But this the caterer magazine used to come once a week, and in the magazine they used to have a diary column written by a chef. And and 
the chef that started to do this diary column one year was a chef called Sean Hill. And he was moving from Gidley Park to Ludlow. And he was opening a restaurant called the, the Merchant House. And, um, and I used to absolutely love his writing. I laugh out loud. I mean, just absolutely brilliant. So once I knew that he'd arrived in Ludlow, I phoned. And I said, hello, I'm Claire. I'm, you know, I'm wondering if you need any staff. Now, the Merchant House had 24 covers. Sean did all the cooking. His wife did the pastry and the service. Um, and it was a super tiny domestic kitchen. But it was still 14th best restaurant in the world and had a Michelin star. Right. And, uh, and, and you know, I phoned Sean. And he said, you know, we don't really have any, any vacancies. We're such a small operation. I said, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll try again. You know, cut a long story short, I phoned him every month for six months. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where we would just have chats on the telephone and I think on the on the final month I must have caught him after a really shit service of really bad <laughs> timing yeah he said um okay come down and, and have a chat so I I, I turned I you know I, I I turned up at the merchant house half an hour before I was due to turn up because I was so excited went in had a chat with Sean and Anya and then I was there with him for four and a half years um wow and and just the most fantastic chef in all respects to work for. I mean, the Merchant House was crazy. And, you know, you'd, you'd hear chefs going, but you've only got 24 covers. But we were flat out, nonstop. I mean, it was abs- every service was absolutely crazy. But he taught me so much. And, um, and not, you know, and, and his wife, Anya, taught me so much as well. And, and you know, not just about, you know, about, about service or or, or menus, but just how to be a restaurateur and, and yeah. how to how to treat people and things to look for and, and you know and never bending on quality and never cutting corners and um, you know and I said I was there for four and a half years and um, and absolutely loved every minute of it. Um, but four four years into my four and a half years, Claude had arrived at actually the hotel that I'd been at before the Merchant House, um, the chef had finally <laughs> gone. Right. He arrived um, from an agency to uh, be a temporary chef for um, for six months. He'd, he'd been at Ducasse in Paris, um, and he'd, he arrived there just for six months, he wanted to learn English. And then he embedded himself very quickly into Overton Grange, and very quickly the AA restaurant guide. I think they gave him his third rosette or something. But the owners brought him to the Merchant House um, for a celebratory meal and the rest as they say is history <laughs> we, we met we decided that after after a while to to give it a go of running our own restaurant at the time I was 24 he was 25 you know trying to wow trying, yeah yeah trying to raise when I see my nephew now who's 23 and doing diddly squat with his life <laughs> seriously I was running a restaurant when I was 24 um you know all my, do you know what yeah I love about that story though is the fact that you kind of all the way through this process you've kind of grabbed the bull by the horns yeah. it's not you know you you've gone after something that on the face of it you you really really wanted to do which was work with sean hill and that was purely i I guess based on the quality of his writing and his reputation as a as an excellent chef yeah Yeah. Uh, but beyond that there was no other information really yeah yeah no absolutely i i I set i set my mind that i wanted to work for him and um, like i said i phoned him every month for six months (laughs) Until you know, I'm surprised it wasn't a restraining order put out on me or something. But I was just, yeah. I was just determined to work there, and and it, and and it was, I mean, it was fantastic. But but you know, but then you know, deciding to kind of open open your own restaurant, um, it's at 24 and 25 when you know what 24 or 25 year old saves money. You don't, you earn money to spend it at that age. Yeah. Every time we tried to raise funds from a bank, and we had fantastic references from really important people. But each bank manager would say, well, we'll give you, we'll, we'll, whatever you've got saved, we'll double it. We've got about 12 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, we, you know, we, we, we didn't give up and, and, and fought on and fought on and, and, um, and, 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 and literally opened Hibiscus on a, on a, a very, very, very tiny budget and borrowed plates from, there was another restaurant in Ludlow at the time called Mr. Underhill's that had a Michelin star and we, we, you know, we borrowed stuff from them. Sean lent us stuff, family and friends helped with stuff and, and, um, and, and we opened with the bare minimum. Gosh, incredible to yeah. think. Yeah. The, um, but also, I mean, clearly you've got a tiny little bit of courage going on because not only to, 
you know, take a, a take the plunge like that at that age, but also, you know, do it with somebody who you're in a relationship with. I mean, it's uh, working with um, with loved ones is uh, historically quite a challenge. It it's it, it is it is it is and it isn't. Um, you know, it's I mean, obviously, we're not together anymore. We're still very good friends, but that's a completely yeah. different story. It, it, yeah. A, you never switch off. So, I mean, it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you, you talk about work. So actually put setting work aside to to do anything is impossible. But B, we totally and utterly understood and trusted each other. Um, and all yeah. people know that, you know, all chefs really are slightly suspicious of their restaurant managers. <laughs> um, but, but we never had we never had that, you know, if if I said A, you know, he he trust would trust me and and likewise we totally trusted each other in in terms of of work and and as that that was never an issue. And and then as you know, it can be quite a heated environment in hospitality at times so that you know there were occasions where <laughs> we would be yelling at each other over the past but yeah i can relate my my parents left a rat race to go and open a hotel with no experience and so for 10 years they lived and breathed that and kind of only that yes and and i saw firsthand as a teenager you know the strain that that brought to their relationship but also as you say they they knew that they trusted each other implicitly yeah. to to get the job done yep. kind of first and foremost and everything else fell by the wayside yep. they did make it and they are still together yep. but I'm not sure they would have been if they'd done it for much longer yeah no it it, it, it is it is tough because you you, you forget to have a life it, yeah 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 and anything other than work and um and then you know it, it becomes very difficult and then you know you know trying trying to kind of raise a family as well it is really hard but but when it works well it's the most solid partnership you can have running your it's the most secure partnership you can have running a hospitality business is yeah. a wife one when it works well um because there's just you know you can't get a thread in between there's there's never any issue of of well there's never any issue of somebody having handing the resignation in for a start <laughs> yeah 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 your name's on the lease as well love so yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The um yeah, so that began I suppose quite it was an upward trajectory yeah. of success. Yeah, we we had the first Michelin star pretty much straight away within the first year, which was amazing. Um considering when we you know, we still had nothing. We still had you know, I, I always remember in in, a, in one of our first years of trading, you know, every restaurant has got that chair that's a bit dodgy. <laughs> and um and we had lots of stuff that was a bit dodgy and um and we had um a guy called Anthony Dimitri who was who then was chef at Patty Bridge restaurant and he's a fabulous, fabulous chef. But he was coming to eat um in the restaurant and um and I had one guy working in front of house with me and we we're setting up the restaurant for the evening and I said to Simon, I said, make sure that we don't give Anthony the, the wonky chair. And he's like, no, 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 that's fine. Anyway, service starts and we're, we're really, really busy. And you just think, you know, Hibiscus was about 34, 36 covers. And, and, and it, there was a lot more service at Hibiscus than at the Merchant House. The Merchant House is very straightforward, no frills. You pour your own wine kind of service, which is great. Hibiscus is slightly different. There's a slightly elevated level of service. So mm. we were really busy. But anyway, Anthony and his then girlfriend, now wife, Fred, um, came in and as they sat down <laughs> I looked across and I saw the leg of the chair wobble and I was like oh no I said to Simon do you did make sure that table one hasn't got the dodgy chair and he was like oh crap and I was just <laughs> now you know Anthony one of the most important chefs in London any minute now that chair's going to go from underneath them <laughs> and it's going to be so embarrassing so I was like well, what do you do what do you do and, you know, how, how, how can we get out of this um so what I did was at some point in time kind of after the after one they were on a tasting menu after a couple of courses Anthony went upstairs to go to the toilet so I was like right Anthony's left the table um and then I said to Simon I said go and go and talk to Fred, Anthony's girlfriend, and just tell her to come and have a look at a painting that we've had done for the restaurant, which happened to be around the corner. So he did that. So Anthony went to the toilet. Fred went to go and look at this painting. And in the meantime, I legged it over to Anthony's table and switched the chair. <laughs> Fantastic. The problem solving, you see? So he 
never ever knew but but yeah so you know it, it and, and you know as as time happened we managed to get chairs that weren't completely ruined um we managed to get some cutlery that matched um some plates like <laughs> here um and so we we got the first star you know ludlow had hit a, a pinnacle by then because we had a star the merchant house which was 200 yards down the road had a star and so did Mr. Underhills. So what happened for a tiny little market town of 10,000 people is we had every food tourist in the world coming to Ludlow. Uh, you couldn't get a bed and breakfast room for, for six or six or seven months because all even all the B&Bs were full. Therefore, all the shops were full, all the pubs were full. It was really vibey and brilliant. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, we traded with one star and then a couple of years later, um, a couple of years, we always used to shut in January as, as places tend to. Um, yeah, do you know what? Change that. Yeah. Write an article on that because my birthday's in January, oh, okay. and I can I can never go to the restaurants I want to go to because they're all bloody shut. Anyway, it was, it was at that point in time. It was Michelin didn't have those big award ceremonies that they've got now, um, and it was very much a case of scaring scaring newspapers to see if anybody had leaked a press release to see if you could find out anything. It was all done by telephone or email. There was none of this glitzy ceremony now, and it was published in January. Um, but we always shut in January for a couple of weeks, and and I remember the the, the, the January in particular that we'd closed. And instead of going on holiday, decided that, well, I think we were having some, I think we're having a new stove in the kitchen or something. There was work going on. We were just shut, but we were staying at home. Um, and I remember walking into the into the office in, in mid-January and seeing the answer phone flashing going, oh, I really cannot be bothered to go through the answer phone and contact all these people for booking. So, so I looked at the flashing light, ignored it, went out, went home. I think we went to the pub. And then at six o'clock the following morning, had a phone call from actually uh, Chris from Mr. Underhill's, the chef at Mr. Underhill, saying, you do know that you've got two stars? And I was like, no. And he's like, you've got two Michelin stars. And if I had bothered to answer the answer phone message, <laughs> when I went back to check, there was a phone call from Derek Bulmer, who was the then editor of Michelin, <laughs> saying, congratulations, you've got two Michelin stars. And it was just because I couldn't be bothered to answer the answer phone. Um, so, yeah, so then we had... That's amazing. And, and the, whole, the whole world then goes, goes slightly mad for a while. Yeah, the uh, thing about that is, you know, I love about the uh, the Michelin star rating system is the the wording that they use to describe uh, one star very good cooking in its category. Yeah, and I I always think to myself that doesn't really do it justice. No. to be honest, no. No, I mean, and it's it's so it's so varied, isn't it? I mean, the, the yeah. one stars are, are you know, I, I think when they started awarding pubs with stars as well. I mean, you know, we the, the year that we had our first star, the the first pub in the in the world to get a Michelin star was awarded, and it was called the Stag Inn and Titley, and it, I don't think it has it, and it doesn't have it anymore, and it's not very far from from Ludlow, and um, and I remember going there for a meal. And and it was really lovely. It was lovely pub food, but but in you know they 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 sprayed down the table with with squirty cleaning thing and wiped it with a J cloth in front of us. And now oh nice. I'm there going. I spent hours ironing tablecloths and polishing silver. <laughs> yeah. And we're rated the same. So that that was something that took some getting over. But it's yeah, it's it's very it's very broad, isn't it? You know. Yeah. A very and definitely if, if somebody's spraying. And using a J cloth cloth in, in front of you—that's definitely not worth a detour, which is for two stars. No, absolutely, absolutely, and yeah. So, so we we, we then became worth a detour. But you know, we had yeah. we had one guy that actually flew over from New York to Birmingham Airport, got somebody to drive him from Birmingham Airport to Ludlow, had dinner, and then went back. I mean, people are crazy when they travel so far for food, but they do. Well, that's an American thing. And please, all of my American friends, please forgive me if I'm completely wrong. But the um, I remember learning about this when I, I uh, did a student exchange in America. And people were, com were driving eight hours to go to a restaurant yeah. and then drive back again. Yeah. And I would think, are you mad? <laughs> Like literally, it's a it's an hour tops yeah. for me, or I'm staying over. <laughs> yeah, or you're staying over exactly. Yeah, exactly. but but yeah, it was it was it was extraordinary, and and um and I think you know we we just we just got kind of the journal the journalists that dared to come out of London um did, and those that are only London obviously didn't, and so we traded from uh, up to the end of two thousand and seven. 
Um, but then um, the decision was taken to move the entire restaurant to Mayfair. So um, it opened in uh, on Maddox Street in Mayfair. Yeah. And what was the, the, the thinking behind that? Was it just purely because London scene was on the move and you wanted to be part of it? Isn't it isn't it funny now? Because I tell you, if I had to if I had to choose right this minute owning a rural restaurant or owning a London restaurant, I would definitely be owning a rural. Yeah, 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 yeah. Funny how the tables have turned, but at the time it was um um, it, it was um, consistency for staff. We wanted to push for the third star and, and keeping staff in a rural location where there's not a lot to do is very hard. Consistency on levels of business. So we were we were lucky. We were very, very busy in Ludlow, but there would be periods of time throughout the year where, where it would drop off. And, and also, you know, all the logistics of taxi companies and decent train services, they, they just they just weren't here. So and 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 it was it was a case of you know could could we have ever got three stars in Ludlow? Who knows? I personally, I think we could have done. Um, right. I, I I I think you know there's no reason why we couldn't have got it in Ludlow, but but you know it was it was decided that we should move the entire restaurant, and we did. We took the staff that we had came with us. They they up they up sticks as well, and 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 took a comment wow. in London, and and we we moved absolutely everything down to Maddox Street, and and opened there, and and you know and that was. That was just such a such a an interesting move, and 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 it really you know, it really brings home to you. Um, it's that you 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 realise what you what you've lost when it's gone, really, isn't it? Um, you know, yeah. in in Shropshire, the, the you know we used to have like some somebody who would turn up at the kitchen door with a deer in fur that had just been shot, or with some some fish just being caught or some crazy foragers turning up with a whole load of herbs or or we could go out foraging and, and with those small producers on the doorstep fantastic producers we yeah. have much foraging on hanover square um really no funny enough there's not a lot Fine. On. so you kind, yeah. you kind of in, for, for what you get from from levels of business you lose i i think certain a slightly romantic element of of being a restaurateur when it you know it to, to open the door in in Maddox Street to, to pay the rent and the rates was over half a million quid a year and that's to put a key in the lock and open the door yeah um, yeah that adds another huge level of stress to everything we know that when you know you, you couldn't afford to have a, a, a quiet week in Ludlow if we had a quiet week it was annoying in Mayfair it was terrifying so and and that takes away some of the enjoyment of, of being a restaurateur so um uh, but it traded it traded okay you know we went to the 2008 recession again timing is everything we opened in 2000 at the end of 2007 and then the recession hit goodness <laughs> but, but we, we we traded through it and was it was okay and then we decided we went our separate ways and then hibiscus was sold in 2017 and claude's now very happily ensconced at Bibendum and doing great jobs and I, I hope that you know he will get his third star he's he's more than worthy of it he's a very very talented chef um who can do it um so we kind of hope that, that he will he will get there yeah well so far his uh, his cooking is uh, excellent and worth a detour absolutely absolutely um but uh I, well here's the thing right I, the uh the difference I've been lucky enough to eat in three and two and one Michelin star restaurants yeah. I I'm definitely don't have a career ahead of me as a as a Michelin inspector because <laughs> I see far too much good in things. I think um, I uh, I literally could not tell you the difference between a two star experience and a three star experience. Okay, okay. F- from my own experience, this is and uh, and that's just in terms of the the precision is already there in two star. The level of service is there in two star and. And maybe I'd, it's it's been a while. I have to say since I've been to a three Michelin star. Maybe I need to go back. But yeah, that's that's my my takeaway. Yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've heard that it's actually you know when when it comes when it comes to the nitty gritty of of Michelin and awarding um, stars or, or or actually um, inspecting. Um, I mean, I've heard that it's actually very very straightforward. Um, right. about how they do it because obviously every inspector has to agree on everything we just don't know what the everythings are um, right. and I, I will hold my hands up and confess that in in the 2000s I did get a Michelin inspector incredibly drunk incredibly drunk and tried to get information 
and none was forthcoming. And, oh, wow. You know, I mean, I don't know what they do to that they don't, you know, the official secrets act that they sign in that little red book company. I could not get anything. <laughs> and they have, he's got a, a, an arsenic tablet ready to, to take. Yeah. <laughs> if he says anything um, yeah but, but I but I but I you know I, I think that it's it, it's because they have to be consistent so whatever it is that they're looking for to warrant a restaurant moving from two to three stars every inspector that goes there have to agree that whatever those boxes are that need ticking are ticked right but we will never know what those boxes are yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just I, I've always found it fascinating because I, I think the the level of capability is in a in a two star chef and establishment is clearly there. Yeah. Like, you know, it's and and how you make that jump to to the next level, I um yeah, is is the, the little piece of magic dust, I suppose, that Absolutely. that none of us know exactly what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So then you you left so uh, hibiscus. Hibiscus was sold, and and that's when I that's when I joined Chef and Restaurant magazine. Yeah, which is a little bit of a slight detour on what you were doing before. It is, however, um, I come from a family of broadcasters. Um, both right. both my brother and sister are broadcasters. Um, I've always written, so I, I I did quite a lot of ghostwriting and quite a lot of PR work before. Anyway. Um, and Your name wasn't uh, J.K. Rowling, was it? <laughs> I wish. <Yeah. laughs> Note to self: Go sit in Starbucks and try and write a book. Um, yeah. So, so I've, it's something that I've always done, and um, and and the important thing with the with the magazine was actually having somebody writing about and for the industry who knows it, because I've lived it. And and that's something that the readers can really relate to. So you know, I can have jokes with them, you know, and and um, and 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 really, you know, bring content to them that's relatable, and also work with you know our media partners and our advertisers. You know, I can I work very closely with them um, to make sure that that whatever they are trying to get into the industry um, or trying to get in front of the industry is, is, is represented properly. Um, you know, it, it's very, it's very easy to, to gloss over content and not read it. So it's got to catch the interest and the intrigue of the reader. Um, yeah. I think that I bring, I bring a certain element of that as well. Um, and it, it was just, yeah, it's just something that, that happened and, and, and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's worked touch wood. Um, it's worked yeah. really well so far. Yeah, what well, I, I really love about that and kind of part of your the the rich tapestry of your journey, if you like, is is the fact that that correct me if I'm wrong, going all the way back to the beginning, that ending up doing something like this is probably not something that you had on your radar no. all the way back at the beginning. No, it really isn't, and I, I I have to say that I feel more involved with the industry now than I ever did when I was running the restaurant, which is which is a really bizarre thing. But and I think it's because I'm more involved on so many different levels. So, you know, contract caterers through to care home caterers, you know, student chefs, three Michelin star, you know, bib bib gourmand, um, pubs, cafe. I, so I feel I have this kind of broader vision of the entire sector now instead of instead of just being kind of Michelin, 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 um, yep. which, which, I, which I had lived. But, um, but, but looking back, it makes sense. In, 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 for, for, for the type of person that I am and the things I like doing, I like writing and I like talking and, and, I, and, I, and I like championing and supporting. So actually, this, this, it, ticks, it ticks all of the boxes. So with hindsight, it's, a, it's, a, 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 the, it's an obvious move. But if you said to me, when I was 24, would I be doing this? I'd have you know, said, I haven't even got time to wash my hair, let alone write my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the little comment on supporting there seems to me like a fantastic segue into what you're, you kind of got yourself into last <laughs> October, November, whenever it was, to, to support the industry. Yeah, totally. So the so because my brother and my sister are political broadcasters, I've been... I've, been dragged up in a political household. I mean, you know, we're always talking politics. And I naively assumed that everybody was like that. And it's not, it's just my weird family. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, throughout all the years of, of having hibiscus, I, in the back of my mind, I always had this, this sense of injustice about the VAT levels on, on hospitality. And, and always in the back of my mind saying, well, why is nobody fighting? Why are we not fighting for this? What? And, and then, you know, and why don't we have a minister? Why do we, why do we have a, a minister for aviation? We don't have a minister for hospitality. Um, but then I didn't really 
do anything with it. Although saying that, in January 2020, I had a really long phone call with, with Marco because um, because I, I was I was planning on doing something to try and get the VAT situation resolved and sorted. And I was asking Marco for some help and we, we just ended up having a two and a half hour long conversation. About VAT? About VAT and, and <laughs> life in general. And and then COVID hit. And so, you know, initial initial thing was get all your ducks in line and get everything straight for your day to day life. And 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 then you know, I'm I'm a a huge runner. I, I run every day. I'm like Forrest Gump. Um so <laughs> day I do minimum ten K run and, and, and in that time is when I is when I switch my brain into creative and um I put my headphones on, take my dog and I go into the forest and I go running, and that's when my as, as my managing director says, my most batshit ideas come from. <laughs> so I come back from a run and go, and go, I've had an idea. And he's like, oh, no, what now? Oh, God. But during, yeah. during one of these runs, it just kept going over and over in my head that we didn't have this representation and, and what could we do about it, which was then cemented, massively cemented, when Boris announced the reopening um, being the 4th of July because it it just became clear that they were – lumping us the entire sector into one pot so they were allowing a 24 cover restaurant to open the same time as a 600 cover pub in soho and and there are huge differences and if you want to be careful you know you need to start looking at that and it just became clear that they don't get it so i i met with a girlfriend uh, jessica corrigan actually richard corrigan's daughter in london we drank a bottle of wine um, and I said, Jess, I really want to push for this minister for hospitality. And she was fabulous. She said, look, you know, she just launched Crab Communications, her own PR company. And she said, we'll help you get it off the ground. So then I had to research the right platform because um, everybody goes to um, change.org. But actually, government aren't um, beholden to do anything with a change.org petition. Really? No. So the one that they have to pay attention to is petitions parliament. Change.org, they can just ignore it if they want to. So and and funny enough to to get on to get a petition on petitions parliament, it has to be approved by politicians. <laughs> which always, oh, wow. yeah. So the first step is you you um, submit your application for a petition um, and then it goes to um, a team of backbenchers um, and the petitions committee, and they then decide whether to allow or disallow the petition to run. Um, so that that took a that took a while to to get the approval. I eventually got the approval in October that we could run the petition, and and then Jess and the girls at Crab Communication, the and, and guys at Crab Communications, did an, an amazing job of getting it out into the press straight away. And we hit ten thousand on the first day, which was which was really really great. And Angela Hartner was just absolutely fantastic. Marcus Waring also was was brilliant in the very early days. And that's what you need, though, isn't it? You need the the high profile names to really just jump on board yeah, straight I, away. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, if you see any time Angela does something, I mean, the public just love her. I mean, they love her. When she she was on, uh, I think it's BBC Good Morning Britain or BBC Breakfast or something on the day that the petition went live, and I was looking at the petition, watching it just go higher, 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 um, and it was incredible. Um, but I think she she did question time, didn't she? At one point, did yeah, she did. She's unstoppable, and just bloody brilliant, yeah. I... And she she's genuine, and she gets it, and she's calm. Um, which which is which yeah that's is critical well. isn't yeah. it <laughs> she's not overly passionate about about you know she doesn't you know get into a tiz or anything she's very calm and 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 eloquent and and always gets the message across but so so we started off on a really really good trajectory of 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 signatures and then about nine days later and it was still coming in very nicely and was doing its rounds on social media but about nine days later Marcus Rashford also launched a petitions parliament campaign for feeding children. Yeah. And I was sat there thinking, well, this doesn't look good if at the same time Marcus is trying to feed really hungry kids in the UK, we're sat there waving a flag going, but what about us? What about us? Yeah. I said to the guys, I said, let's just stop for five days. Let's just stop shouting about us for five days and support the Marcus Rashford thing because it was the right thing to do. So we did that. Then picking it back up was quite hard um, because we hadn't done anything for a few days. Getting the momentum back up was quite hard. Um, but I'd, 
I, I pulled on some support throughout all of it from uh, Robin Hudson, who owns the Pig Hotel Group, yeah, and Harry Murray, and 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 Tom Parker Bowles actually, and I'd be having conversations with them, saying, "Come on, William, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do?" And then Robin had an idea, and and he said, "Right, you know, I've got." A, a, a scheme he has his his budding entrepreneurs scheme and, and and management trainee scheme said i've got all these young people they're like 20 to 23 years old they haven't really got anything to do at the moment let's give it to them and see what they can come up with in order to get these numbers over the line and and bless them these 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 kids did an absolutely brilliant job and it, and it went because for a long time it was just me and and also trying to do all the other work that i was doing but then suddenly yeah team um, we had a team behind it who, I mean, you know as well as I do, to get chefs to do something, sometimes you have to sit on top of them to do anything. <laughs> and I didn't have time in a normal working day to be literally sitting on top of chefs going, do your video. Um, but these these guys did. And they did a, a fabulous job. And, and we so we, we launched Seat at the Table. They they really nailed it. They They got on top of everything. They got everybody in. The signatures went through the roof. And we got our debate date. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's um, also quite a wonderful little enterprise to get. Uh, the, oh, I'm going to sound like my dad here. The the youngins onto. Well, it, this. I mean, this this is this, this is this whole minister of hospitality. It's about them, um, and that was a really interesting um, thing for me to get across to the current operators of the industry, um, who are quite rightly angry and stressed at the moment. Is that even if Boris appointed a minister of hospitality tomorrow, it's not going to undo now. Um, mm. that's that's this this is to make sure well that's set several things if anything like this ever happens again and by this i mean covid our industry needs representation it took two days in government for them to decide what a scotch egg was because there was no specialist oh, um, God. we've still, still never been told what a substantial meal is because let's face it there isn't one what is a substantial meal for me isn't for you or for my neighbors um, yeah. we've all got differing things with that so a you know, we need to never be under this this uh, underrepresentation again. B, you know, Brexit has happened in 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 all of this, in 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 all of COVID. While everybody's been preoccupied with COVID, you know, for for a hotel in in I don't know Plymouth, if they had before relied on seasonal EU staff to come over and work a season. They can't get them anymore. Yeah, they cannot you know, unless unless they already have a license and they're sponsors, or they guarantee a salary of and they guarantee a salary of twenty five thousand pounds a year. You cannot get those young, enthusiastic EU workers to come over anymore. Um, so where are we going to get our workforce from? Um, the government have got to endorse the sector to make it and to get the communication across that it's an aspirational career choice. Yeah, and and with a minister for hospitality. We can, you know, we we can be one step closer to making this happen. Yeah, no, I I I completely agree, and and I think it's it's one of the 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 reasons why beyond the fact that that COVID happened, you know, I think everybody could see that there were going to be problems yeah. in terms of how we get people into the industry, and if you know the these pipelines of people dry up from from the EU because they, they just don't have the right to work here and are not at the right salary level set by government to get a visa, then we have to look inwards. And that means that we have to to raise the bar on the the information that gets out to the wider world about what this industry actually is. Absolutely. And you know, I think it's you know it's the third biggest uh, employer in the UK. Absolutely. It's, and, it's one of the remaining traditional industries that we have as well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there aren't that many left. <laughs> and not only that, you know, that's it's a, it's a, an industry that attracts spending from other countries, so it brings money into the uh, the the country. Yeah, you know, notwithstanding what we what what we spend ourselves uh, within. So it's uh, it just it's a, a logical conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the moment, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones who live down the road with their two kids and, and their kids are going through career options, um, they're not going to recommend hospitality. You, mm. Why would they? When it's constantly referred to by the government as low skilled, when it's, you know, it, when it when it has no status within government, where it's made a mockery of by decisions that they've made over the last 12, 12 months, um, why, why would they? You know, parents are still sending their kids off to get, you know, second rate university degrees instead of encouraging them to do apprentices. 
uh, to partnerships. Yeah. Um, and that that needs that needs to fundamentally change. So, you know, this this minister for hospitality can can put right so many wrongs, um, but can also elevate our industry. You know, the, there's a fantastic minister for tourism and hospitality in Dubai. I mean, goodness me, when you see how he champions his sector, and when he talks about his sector, and when you know when he encourages, you know businesses to work together and interesting the support that he has for his sector is, is incredible and you look mm-hmm. why do we not have him? and um, and it's and it's an, on, an ongoing battle and you know in in, in all of these so, so we, you know we had we, we got the signatures that we needed for a debate um and the debate happened in in westminster hall and we had 90 minutes of time i mean our industry's never had 90 minutes of government time ever yeah we had we had 90 minutes of time and the MPs that all spoke, all spoke in favour of a Minister for Hospitality. They'd all clearly spoken to their constituents who, who had businesses. They all clearly understood why this was needed. And, and without question, it was, an, it was an, over, an overwhelming query as to why we don't have one and why we should have one. And, and so that was hugely successful. And then uh, we had a follow-up debate in the House of Lords, which again was, was really, really successful. But ultimately, there's only one person that makes this decision, and that is the man himself. That is that is Boris Johnson himself, and uh, you know we can have we can have every single MP in the government voting for us to have a minister for hospitality. It's it's Boris who decides. So the focus now is is on on Boris. And I had a I had a meeting with with the uh, one of the business ministers last week, and you know, and I said right, right from the outset, we are not attacking you. This is not an attack. You know, we're not saying because he's supposed to hold some responsibility for hospitality with his colleague. And I just said, I, I, just, I said, look, I'm really, I'm really curious because you know, third largest employer in the UK, hundred, you know, hundred and seventy eight pounds in in revenue, and you know, forty billion to the treasury and all this. I'm just interested to know what was the thinking. Because I, you know, you could explain it to me, and and it might make sense. But what is the thinking between having a hospitality split between um, business and industry and digital culture and media? You know, why why do we have split responsibility? And do you know what his answer was? Go on. I don't know. Oh, that's encouraging. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, if there was a really solid reason why it was happening, he would know. So there is no reason for us to be split into two departments. Um, and we would be, you know, by, by splitting hotels and events in one direction, and bars and restaurants in another direction, and all of the little businesses that go around them, um, we're diluted and we're stronger together. Um, yeah. And we need, a, you know, we need a senior minister who, who engages with operators, not just trade bodies, but operators. Um, like the conversation that we were having b- before we recorded, you know, our hospitality operators are real problem solvers and real creative thinkers and we're solutions based you know we we have to think on our feet all the time and um, and so we need a minister that actually works with operators and the trade bodies on 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 things that affect the industry directly and 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 you know that's if i have if i have to chain myself to number 10 i'll, I'll make this happen <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the solution to any problem that this sector can face the probably is within the knowledge base yeah. of somebody who works within the sector. Absolutely. You know, notwithstanding what we're going through right now, because nobody's ever had to deal with what we're going through right now. So this is all new written stuff yeah. uh, in terms of the, the the business 101 playbook. Yeah. But but nevertheless, the, there is, I mean, you mentioned Robin and uh, Harry. Yeah. You know, these two guys are legends. Absolutely. What, what they haven't seen and come across, you know, they're, they'd be a great starting point for any discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I think. You know, we've, we've had some really good meetings over Zoom and Teams and things like that, you know, with ministers, without ministers. And and just, you know, we, we've come so far. We've come so far in, in all of the, um, the Minister for Hospitality activity. We've come so far, we can't fall at the last hurdle. And the last hurdle is Boris Johnson. And I, I have a request in with him. Because we have a we have a whole presentation for him, and and the presentation is coming from from young business people, from young management trainees who have ideas about what they want to be doing in five years' time. You know what mm. they're looking for from government, what support they like to see from government. You know, and talk about how many people they aspire to employ, whether it's a food truck, whether it's a hotel, whether they want to go into the care system. You know, they, they, they and and so Boris Johnson 
needs to give these kids the opportunity for them to put their vision for hospitality forwards because this has always been about the future not the present that we, we can do diddly squat about the present right now it's in Rishi Sunak's hands but yep. we can dramatically change the, the future and like I said to, to to Tom and Angela and everybody I said you know this is the legacy that we leave for the hospitality industry this is such an important legacy that we need to leave for for the eight-year-old who at home is at home right now who one day will will look up and go do you know what actually I want to be a hotelier or you know I want I want to I want to be a chef you know and and it's it's for those people and 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 for, for our industry it's it's our legacy it's not it's not our it's not the solution to our problems for now but it's something we can leave for any any other um generation to come yeah, absolutely. I, you know, if I could stand up and give you a round of applause, uh, I would. Feels a little bit weird, but um, I genuinely think what you've done is amazing, and I would be really, really honoured and privileged to to get behind it in any way that I can. I mean, um, the the fact that you're here chatting to me now is probably leg number one of that. But anything that that we can do to add weight, I'd uh, I'm I'm all in. Brilliant. <laughs> I said that because I'll be calling on you. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, I'll edit that out. It's fine. <laughs> no, that's that's great. Um, so beyond that, I tell you what, though, I tell you what comes into my brain thinking about that, just on on my feet for a second, yeah. is that for a, a democracy, yeah. it feels a little bit weird how we're relying on one person to make a decision. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah, just going to leave that out there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, it's just there's just one person that can, can make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting thought. Yes, indeed. They're, uh, that's probably the the deepest and most intelligent thing I've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, so beyond that, what's uh, what does the next year look like for you so the next year for me um so the uk magazine continues to to grow and grow and grow which is brilliant and we have we do have a lot of fun with it and you know we were the only one that stayed in print throughout the pandemic and that was again that was me being bloody minded because it just i just because i because i, I know i know these guys and girls i've lived there i've been there and, and the idea of taking people who are used to working with people and in front of people and have a, a, a routine and a structure that we mostly complain about in ordinary times. You know, we all complain about long hours and, and everything, but it's still, it, it's still a camaraderie and a feeling of being together that is important to the industry. You don't, you don't go into hospitality if you don't like people. Mm. Uh, and, and so in, in, the, in, the, in the very outset, it, it, was, it was a case of, um, you know, we, we're taking all these people and we're putting them at home and saying, stay there. And and that can't be good for anybody's mental health um, when you're used to being around people. And that's without business concerns and money worries and things like that. So so I, I was I was very, very firm that come come whatever, we would continue to to print the magazine and get it. Yep. And we did, which which was amazing. I, I literally <laughs> literally I think everybody in the company hated me. Um I was just like, I don't care. Sorry, <laughs> these guys, they need the support. It's gonna happen. So yeah, the UK magazine is is great and it's it's good fun and we have some some good laughs with it. I said the, the US magazine uh, the New York magazine is rebranding as US and, and going out in the next few weeks again. So that goes back to being monthly. The UAE, the, the Middle East um, edition. On top of that, I, I will I will get in front of Boris Johnson. Don't ask me how. I'm, I'm going down the polite route at the moment of asking, but we we the, you know the, the, this will this will carry on going in, until until like I said to I think to one of the ministers until he looks me in the eyes and explains to me why why it isn't right for the industry. I will keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And if I end up in the Tower of London, I end up in the Tower of London. <laughs> you would have to send me cakes or something. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, you know, when I was a when I was a very small, very very small child, I had to go and live with my grandmother for months because my mother chained herself to Greenham Common. You know, my my elder siblings, I remember again being super tiny and them going off to poll tax riots. And so I'm a natural agitator if I have to. <laughs> 
<laughs> I come from a family of agitators, and when it's when it's the right thing. So yeah, so, and so and, and you know we've got we've kind of got events and things planned throughout the year, and yeah, I haven't had a day off for over a year. <laughs> mm. But do you know what? When you're passionate about something, it doesn't matter, does it? Um, totally. Uh, you know, I, I you know if if you believe in something, and I you know I I believe in in what we're doing as the magazine, and I I believe in the industry, and I you know I could. If 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 I suddenly won Euro Millions, I would be dishing out money left, right, and centre to people that I know in the industry to get them over these next few months. But but I haven't, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But you know, I, and, and like I said, I, I believe in this industry and, and I want the best for it um, because they're a, they're a random, crazy bunch of people, but they're, they're pretty much all good people that work in the industry. So. Uh, for sure yeah yeah and that's that's totally clear that your your passion is there that you're you're almost doing what you're supposed supposed to be doing and as you say when you're when you're in that zone it doesn't really feel like work even though you you know you're working your backside off no no doubt um and remember to uh to look after you at some point as well though well as i said i i am basically forrest gump Yeah, that's your that's your space that, that that is absolutely my space and um and yeah so you know as long as I can get out for a run every day it, it, it all is fine it's if I can't get out for a run that it's not but um but yeah but I, 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 I enjoy it I, I enjoy everything that I do and and um you know stay stay healthy and and, and mentally strong and, and and that's it you know there's this time for me to take a, a day off or or whatever a holiday is take one of those but at the moment it's too important to to get to get this all right it's that that that's that's more important than going along on a beach in, in greece for a week um yeah. I, I i commit you know i i committed myself to this cause a long time ago and i'll see it through to whatever end there is <laughs> brilliant and bravo <laughs> bravo wonderful well i um i'm always determined to end things on a, a fun and positive note so before we we go have you got any uh any funny stories that you could share from your time in hospitality do you know what now this is a story um it's funny and terrifying um perfect that's the, the greatest combination ever and i have to say i didn't confess this to claude for three years <laughs> i'm already excited it's that bad so hibiscus is one star restaurant in ludlow and really busy really really busy and i had just one french girl working with me at the time called ingrid and it was a really busy thursday lunchtime and all of the tables were full um except for one we were waiting for one booking to come in and i was standing in the bar at the front of the restaurant making a bloody mary as the door opened and in walked a man who I recognise as the editor of the Michelin Guide, UK. And, okay. And with him, the editor of the French Michelin Guide. And so I stood there going, oh, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and said hello. And I sat, them at, I sat them at the bar and I gave them some menus and uh, um, I organised their drinks. And I couldn't get to the kitchen. I tried to get to the kitchen. Every time I tried to walk to the kitchen a customer would ask for something or I'd see something needed doing. I couldn't get them there. I couldn't get into the kitchen to say to Claude, shit, this is it. This is the decision. This is, this is the deciding day. So I just wrote on a check. I gave it to Ingrid. Oh, holy crap. And last table's in, be aware. And I sent, I sent that to Claude. I couldn't actually explain to him um, what it was. Um, but, but he knew something was going on. Anyway, um, I was walking back up towards the bar and the, the editor of the UK Guide called me over. <laughs> and he said, I'm having trouble remembering what Swiss chard is in French. Do you know? And I don't know why. I just went, c'est du blit en français, which is right. It's called blit. And it, that just like popped out of my mouth. So I was struck that I even knew that I knew that, but it just came out. And they were like, right. oh, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. And then he said, we're ready to order now. I was like, okay, I didn't have a check pad with me. But at that point in time, I could take a table of sixes, orders, starter and main course, and remember who's having what without writing it down and what what positions there at the table. My memory is fantastic. I could remember. And I had this kind of process. So taking a table of two was never going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They gave me their order. 
And I walked straight through the restaurant, straight into the area where um, where the glasses and everything were b- before the kitchen. And I took my order pad and I lifted up my pen and I just looked at the pad and went, holy moly, I can't remember. Oh, God. I couldn't remember a damn thing about what they'd ordered. And and Claude had kind of popped his head around the kitchen. Everything I can be, yeah, 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 it's fine. And I'm sweating, going, I can't, I can't remember. Oh, my God, I can't remember, I can't remember. And I'm still there, and I started to scribble down various different things that it could be. And I was looking at it going, no, that's not right. And what, of course, you can't do is go back and say, I've forgotten your order. I mean, that's just awful. You can't do that. Certainly not to them. Certainly not to them. And I was just like, I've just ruined everything. Then... Ingrid, the, the waitress, popped her head around the door and said, um, there's a couple just turned up who know you really well, asking if they can have a late table. Um, and we had a table that <laughs> we had a table that had left. And, and I was like, aha, okay, relay the table. So she relayed the table and sat this couple down. And this couple always trusted me to order for them, right? Our lunch menu is four starters, four main courses and four desserts. So I told this couple, I, I had the Michelin order written down that I thought was right. And I told this other couple to basically order the alternative dishes. So that in the kitchen, every dish was being prepared. Uh-huh. <laughs> so these two checks, I mean, I got such a bollocking for putting two checks on at the same time, which is basically one of everything. In the back of my head, I'm like, if I really screwed up, I've got to get out of this. If I've screwed up. I can get it sorted out um, because Claude is, they are cooking four dishes and I only need two of them um, on both starter and main course. So anyway, sat the, sat the Michelin guide, the people down and they hadn't chosen any wine at that point in time. And the checks had gone into the kitchen and, and I said, you know, would you like to have a look at the wine list or, um, or would you, you know, would, would, would you, what, what would you like to do? Are you not having any wine? And, and Derek Bulmer said, he said, I think what we'd like to do, Claire, is we'd like you to match glasses <laughs> to go with our food. <laughs> <laughs> so when they're going, okay, opportunity, uh, stretch. I went, oh yeah, absolutely. And I said, okay, so let's go to me as starters. So, so you're having the, uh, and you go scallops. Go, yes, you're having the scallops. So I recommend this. And, um, and so you're, you're having the, 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 the velouté. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and by recommending the wines to buy the glass to them, I managed to ensure that the food order was correct. Everything was fine. <laughs> we got the two stars. Uh, that is one of the moments in my career that I will never, ever get over. It was, I think I lost half a stone in weight. <laughs> and I, I didn't confess to that ever having happened until three years later. Because it was, it was. I, I still don't know why my mind went blank. I, I, like I said, I could do a table of six, start a main course and not get a thing and get everything perfect. Table of two, pen to paper, gone out of my brain. Um, and, and Nerves and pressure. Yeah, and but, but being given the opportunity of A, ensuring the kitchen were cooking the other two dishes just in case, and B, them asking me to choose wines to match their food. <laughs> Save my bacon. <laughs> Superb. And do you know what? You've rounded off this conversation perfectly because all the, the comments that you were making earlier on about the fact that we have an industry full of problem solvers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is that is A-grade problem solving yes. right there. A-grade problem solving. Yeah, I have too. When you say about writing a book, I have so many stories like that that I've got I've got written down and I keep I keep thinking I should write a book because there is so it's I can't work out if it's comedy or horror or thriller or drama um, yeah the, there's a bit a bit of everything in there I uh, I'm not going to lie I was getting stressed yeah. in uh, just thinking about yeah. being in that situation it was, it, um, was, it was just awful but all's well ends well I say. <laughs> it was just, yeah it was just brilliant I did you know every now and again I kind of bump into Derek Fulmer at certain things like always keep meaning to say to him I don't know if you ever knew that day but I totally forgot your order I mean he's not the editor anymore so it doesn't matter but it it was just one of those oh my god one of those situations you have to dig yourself out of and I inwardly I was terrified that I'd ruined it but we managed to we managed to get it right so yeah note to any front of house that are listening always have a pen (laughs) yeah especially when the Michelin guys come in (laughs) 
the Michelin guys come in. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. This has been a fabulous chat. I'm so, so thankful for you giving me the time in your, your busy, very busy schedule. Okay. Um, if people want to to get a hold of you to to learn more about the the magazine or the campaign or or anything, what's the the best method for them to do that? So all of our social media is at Chef Publishing, which is all lowercase and one word. And then very simply, I mean, chefpublishing.com is our website, and my email address is really simple. It's just Claire at chefpublishing.com. So I'm always always available for a, a, a natter or you know or, or a chat or you know and 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 just it's just really great to hear what everybody's up to as well. I've- I think uh, nattering is definitely a skill that you have. <laughs> and I mean that in a positive way. I'm not, I'm not having a go. And I have to say, the, um, are, you, are you doing a, a clear out of all of your, your cookery books at the moment? On, the prices are ridiculous. Yeah, we've got some. We've got some good ones up there. Yeah, I think I think there's the, there's a few bargains on there at the moment with some some great books. I think we're making way for some some more ones to come in as well. I, um, I'd, I would be shocked if I told you one of the, who our one of our publishing friends is. He's um, uh, producing this year, but there's some incredible cookery books coming out in 2021. But um, if I if I say who they are on air, I'll get shot. So that's fine no, no problem you've, you've, you've given us enough um i've actually got the uh the 36 inspirational chefs oh brilliant i am what you might classify as a, an elite home cook oh very good um so I, I love all all of that and learning about techniques that i don't know anything about and and all of that and i have to say that the quality of the publications are just beautiful yeah again again that's um, i'm i'm a real pain for that as well and, and and that's you know going back to 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 right at the very beginning you know to be involved with this magazine meant that I wanted it to be the best and um and so I'm I'm, I'm a complete pain in that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it seems to be working. I don't mean the being a pain, but the um, it's a, it's a beautiful publication, and um, and clearly you have the respect and the ear of the industry, and um, and I I, I I'm I, I'm a fan for sure. Thank you very much. It's been brilliant talking to you. Likewise. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. And there we have it. Hats off to Claire. Her energy and passion for hospitality are abundantly clear and with some incredible stories to boot. If you haven't already done so, please do get behind the seat at the table campaign. It could be an absolute game changer. Thanks so much to Claire for the work done already and for coming on the show and sharing. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.